It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Monday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, the venerable John Riley, broadcasting from Left Field. We <laughs> are located in our Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego. And for the next hour, we want to talk sports with you. John, we've got a ton of topics on the table. We're going to go a lot of different directions. But before we start... Program note, because Thursday is Thanksgiving Day, we're going to do our weekly podcast Friday. We will call it the holiday edition of Hacksaw's Headlines. So be with us Friday afternoon, regular starting time, 3 p.m., for the holiday edition of what we're going to do. John, we've passed the one-year threshold with our podcast. It has exploded. Many thanks to all of our viewers, followers, listeners, etc. And now we're adding things as we look towards 2024. It's called Hacksaw's Insiders Group. We're looking for teammates. Yeah, so Hacksaw's Insiders Group is the new innovation here. You can sign up. Just go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com, and you can put in your name and your email in the orange box. And what we're doing is we're sending out you know emails of best 15 in, in sports, uh, best 15 minutes in sports, all of Hacksaw's research and breakdowns of the data. Uh, but we're going to soon be rolling out a, a kind of a password-protected website where there's going to be bonus content, video content, a lot of other sports information that is only available to people in Hacksaw's Insiders Group. And by the way, it's free. So go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com to sign up. Yeah. Use the orange box right on my homepage. Get registered. You'll start getting content and alerts. Subscribers, sharing, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube. Like, follow, share, and subscribe We're on all social media platforms. we got Hacksaw content on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Threads, TikTok, and Instagram. So be sure to like, follow, share, and subscribe. And give us a thumbs up. Give us five stars a rating. And if you like sports, check my website. That's the address right across the top of the screen, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. It's all written a ton of topics on the table. Our podcast, Monday Bonus Podcast, brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber, Home Center Stores. There are nine locations in San Diego. If you've got plans for renovations, for projects, home, office, garage, whatever, you need Dixie Line as your teammate because they will give you ideas. They will get you all the supplies you need. They'll help out your contractors. Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores in business for over 100 years in San Diego. You think we got a few things to talk about, John? <laughs> yeah, like a ton. I mean, with NFL, Major League Baseball, college football, Grand Prix, I mean, it's unbelievable. Okay, let's start with the National Football League. Let's talk about the Chargers. Yeah, geez, so they, they, they found a way to lose in the last three minutes again. Uh, the game was one storyline. What happened after the game is now getting all the coverage nationwide. Brandon Staley, the head coach, melting down under the hot, heated questions about your defense 
another lead that turns into a loss, and he got really defensive. Now, the Bolts lose to Green Bay. Green Bay is in the midst of just the beginning of rebuild. The Bolts had a lead. They lost to a struggling quarterback who had lost five of his last six games, and when they were done, Jordan Love had thrown for more than 300 yards. You look at their roster, they had a bunch of no-names at wide receiver because they let all the wide receivers go with Aaron Rodgers. The no-names killed the Chargers. The Bolts are 4-6 and six on the season. They've lost their 14th game by three points or less in the Brandon Staley era. Blown leads, it's now become commonplace. And Staley just went bananas answering questions from the LA Times, Orange County Register, the Green Bay Post-Gazette, the Milwaukee Journal, about this team and why it does not play good defense. And Staley got on the podium and he peered down at those reporters and he just let them have it. You know, his comments were, I believe in myself. I believe in my defense. I believe in my system. I believe in our teaching. I believe in our players. And the end result is it's a sub 500 football team. And then he told those guys, stop asking questions. I am not giving up play calling what we're doing is going to work. You guys are acting like we've never played any defense at all. Don't <laughs> pin this loss just on the defense. We did not have one unit lose us this game. Now, to a degree, they made a lot of mistakes covering the wide receivers. That's become a Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday issue. Yesterday, it was shocking. Six dropped passes. Three of them were headed to the end zone. Changed the whole chemistry of the game. <laughs> Keenan Allen dropped three, which was really stunning. Now, the first two, I think he was looking back in the sun and could not locate the ball. That being said, it's football. You're wearing a shield. you got to get the job done. Uh, Quinton Johnson dropped two. One, a wide-open pass over the middle. The other, what could have been huge first down or game-winning touchdown down the sidelines. What's happened to him at TCU is happening to him in the NFL. You just can't trust him at this point. And Austin Eckler slipped on a on wet turf, lost the football, fumbled going in for a score, five-yard line. Justin Herbert, you talk about heroic effort to try to save the team, save the season. I mean, he was under big-time pass rush pressure. He had runs of 7, 9, 10, 11, 11, and 28 yards. Hmm. Justin Herbert was a leading rusher on the Chargers on Sunday in Green Bay, 73 yards on the ground. And these defensive backs are driving me crazy. Uh, Asante Samuel, high draft pick. Now, watching this game, somebody runs a crossing route, Samuel's in coverage, and the ball goes sailing way over the receiver's head. Jordan Love just airmailed it. Samuel's jumping up and down, up and down, like, I made a play. You didn't make a damn play. The ball was... <laughs> 10 feet over the receiver. What are you doing? Right. Next play, third and 20, pass interference. Oh, God. Bad call, cheap call. Michael Davis, who struggled first two years, played really consistent last year, struggling again all this year. He gives up a couple of big passes. Then he gives up what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown when they couldn't get aligned defensively because Matt LaFleur came to the line of scrimmage with a really different look how they spread the receivers, and the Chargers are trying to communicate as the ball's being snapped, and Michael Davis moving along towards the sidelines, runs right into Ken Murray, the linebacker. Receiver goes right by him, catches the ball over his head. (laughs) 
And if it wasn't bad enough, then I got the whole Joey Bosa situation where he goes down in the first series. Uh, I don't know. They, as of mid-afternoon on Monday, they had yet to detail whether it was a sprained foot, a broken foot, or a Lisfranc injury. When I first saw him go down and the fact he could not walk, I feared he had ruptured his Achilles tendon. Mm. Does not appear that happened. But he's going to be out for a chunk of time. And this raises another quandary question. He's always getting hurt. He's never playing 16 games a season. There's always chunks of time in a season in which he's gone. So, John, you're out there in left field. I'm just going to give you the piece of paper. You write the note. What are you telling Brandon Staley about Brandon Staley's response to losses, losses, losses? And what's the fans' perspective of this team and what they continue to do on an almost Sunday-by-Sunday basis. But do you sense that we're near the end of Brandon Staley? Because when they start getting defensive, when they start arguing with the media, when they start saying, quit asking me that question, you know they're right near the edge. Like, they're going to get pushed off the cliff any second. I mean, what do you think, Lee? I don't think the Chargers fire him in season. There has to be an evaluation if this turns out to be a non-playoff season, especially if it turns out to be a sub-500 season. Has to be an evaluation. Is this guy overwhelmed to be a head coach any longer? But, you know, there's a bigger picture here aside from that. John Spanos, thanks, Dad, for giving me the job. John Spanos and Tom Telesco are a combined 83 and 89 since they took over football operations 10 years ago. Have never won a playoff game in in this chunk of time. (laughs) That's a big issue. And by the way, Dean Spanos, hope you're enjoying your Sunday up there because down here, I think a lot of people are enjoying what they're seeing right now. Yeah. Look at the Charger laundry list of head coaches those guys have hired. Offensive coordinators. The first one, Al Saunders. I was there. Second one, Dan Henning. I was there. Third one, after that, Kevin Gilbride. That was a disaster. Big time. Mike McCoy. Mm -hmm. Anthony Lynn. Brandon Staley. That's six. That's six head coaches that Team Spanos has hired who are hot coordinators. Not one of them's worked out. Not one of them has ever been a head coach again. Uh, So do you think there's a problem at the top of the hierarchy with the decision making? Oh, yeah. First family of football. Right now is in last place in the AFC West. That's what they call themselves. The first family of football. Hey, you forgot my brother, Mike Riley. He was another one of them, right? One of the uh, the guys up there coaching. It's, 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 it's stunning. Did you see the stat during the game about all the fourth quarter games they've blown since 1970? <laughs> all of the games of, what was it, under three, maybe one score games they always lose? I mean, I remember in the 90s, back when you were doing play-by-play, and I would religiously listen to six. 90 all the time. And when the Chargers would lose on Sunday, Monday was like a depression day, you know, and I'd listen to your show and all the Charger fans are complaining and bummed out. And it just, you have it up to here. And it's, it's so relieving not to be a Charger fan anymore so that I don't have to feel depressed on Mondays. Charger fans still here in San Diego, are they watching because they're rooting for Justin Herbert or are they watching because they're hating on Dean Spanos? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there's definitely some fans that have decided just to stick with the L.A. Chargers. You know, they're Charger people. They're still Charger people, just like Raider Nation, wherever the Raiders land, they follow them. I think we've kind of gotten over this idea of 
wanting, well, maybe not, wanting them to lose because we hate Spanos. I mean, I guess that's still driving a lot of fans. I think we all recognize Herbert is terrific, but they're still sort of kind of the local team, right, in Southern California. And to me, it's almost like entertainment to see how they're going to screw it up every fourth <laughs> quarter, every game. It's, it's just insane. Okay, when we're done with this podcast, you are going to join us on Fans Forum, right? Jump into the chat box. This is topic one. Brandon Staley in over his head as head coach. Brandon Staley done. You enjoying what's happening to Spanos? Is this a problem with the Spanos family and the decision-making with all the different coaches they hired who are hot coordinators and not one of them? Has worked out. So the fans forum box is open now. John just unlocked it. So if you're an NFL fan on our live stream, you need to be part of fans forum. Just jump on board and make a comment. So we go from the catastrophe that was Charger football in Green Bay yeah. to what happened around the National Football League. Yeah, there's some great games that happened over the weekend. And let's let's take a look, including a big one tonight. Oh, Monday night football. You think? You, you know, lock the door. Don't let the wifey in the house. We're going to watch this game. Eagles, Chiefs. Jalen Hurts versus a defense. Nobody talks about Kansas City's defense. It's always about Mahomes and Kelsey and Swift. Kansas City's defense has given up 288 yards a game. Wow. That's 31 sacks. I mean, that's really impressive. Mm. Now that is Jalen Hurts across the line of scrimmage from them. And you got Mahomes going against Philadelphia's tough guy defense. Nobody runs the football against the Eagles, the number one in the league. Philadelphia's got 30 quarterback sacks. So I think that that's going to be a really good game. Ravens-Bengals, Joe Burrows, torn ligament, wrist. We were watching this one together. Uh, third major injury in four years. Some of it is freakish. Some of it's flukish. Some of it's because they don't have, still don't have a really great offensive line around them. Ravens had five quarterback sacks in the game, and now Burrow is gone. Third major injury in four years. Rams-Seattle. Man, that was a violent game. Both starting quarterbacks got knocked out of the game with heavy, heavy hits. They both came back at the end. Seahawks self-destructed. 12 penalties for 130 yards. What is Pete Carroll's team doing? Matthew Stafford, he took a shot in the chest. They thought knock his heart out. He came back in the game at the end. He led him to two touchdown drives and a field goal drive in about a six-minute span. That was pretty impressive. Miami Raiders. Well, the big question, you know, Raiders played with great passion against bad clubs. What would happen when they played somebody good? Well, Tua went up and down the field for the Dolphins. 325 yards, two touchdowns. Tyreek Hill, 10 catches, a buck 46. Now, they didn't put a lot of scores into the end zone. Raiders kind of played pretty gritty. Uh, Aiden O'Connell had three interceptions. The Raiders rookie quarterback. Uh, Raiders... Only had 46 yards rushing. I thought they had to run the football to keep Tua off the field. That being said, it was only one score game. So I guess there's a moral accomplishment there for the Raiders, but Miami won. Lions losing to the Bears. You know, and sometimes you think Sunday to Sunday, well, did you spend spend everything in the gas tank last Sunday when they punched the Chargers in the mouth? Because they didn't look like the same team against the lowly Bears. But Jared Goff led them on a comeback. Two touchdowns and a safety in the final three minutes of the game. Detroit marches on. Chicago goes home with another loss. And then Houston, Arizona. C.J. Stroud, third straight big statistical week. The Texans beat Arizona. Stroud goes for 336 and a couple of touchdowns. Something else that nobody's talking about in Houston. 
They got a running back who, if he was doing this in Buffalo, he'd still be in Buffalo and the Bills would be better. Devin Singletary was a really high draft pick about three years ago and didn't just did not do very much with the Bills. He's had back-to-back 100-plus yard games. He ran for 112 yesterday. So, John, there we are. we got Monday Night Football, the Borough Curse, Ram Seattle, Raider Nation, and C.J. Stroud. Pick a name. Pick a topic. Tell me what you're thinking. Well, I was watching the Rams-Seahawks game, and when Geno Smith got hurt, if I recall, the Seahawks were down, and he had his elbow all wrapped up, and and he was trying to pass the ball on on the sidelines, couldn't do it, and you could tell that he was so frustrated, and he really wanted to get back in that game and win it. And their backup quarterback was the guy they got in the trade from Drew Denver. Locke. Yeah, Locke. He didn't do anything. And so Smith was just chomping at the bit to get back in there, but they just didn't have enough to win that game. Well, he did get back in the game. I'm giving him a lot of courage for going out there with what appears to be maybe a bruised elbow because I think his arm went numb, and that's why he couldn't do it. But then uh, I think the feeling came back, and they put the wrap on it, and he came back. And I don't know if you saw the Stafford hit. Holy cow. He took a shot face on into the chest. I couldn't believe, A, he got up, B, went to the sidelines, C, came back in the game, and then D, let him down the field. Hmm. Well, what about the Chicago-Detroit game? I mean, I know Detroit had the big comeback at the end, but there's been a lot of heat on Justin Fields. Now, did he have a good game? Was was he performing? But it sounds like their defense is what screwed up. Well, he I think he threw for 106, and he ran for 114. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, he didn't turn the ball over. But at the end of the day, they don't have a lot of offense in Chicago. If that quarterback isn't doing dazzling things, they're not competitive. That's not a real good offensive football team. And, you know, the rule book says you got to play 60 minutes against Dan Campbell's team, and Dan Campbell's team plays 60 minutes. Yeah. Now, they they didn't look right in the beginning. They looked gassed. They just they weren't what they were the prior weekend when they played the Chargers in that game. But, boy, they—, they he hitched it up at the end. And how about C.J. Stroud? I mean, now everybody is just... First of all, Houston's got six wins. This is down in the dumps Houston. This is talentless Houston. This is failing front office Houston. And now all the free agents they signed, and Singletary, who they saw something that Buffalo couldn't get out of him, they're getting it out of him. And C.J. Stroud is just putting up phenomenal numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's terrific. It's a great story because the people weren't sure if he had the mental ability to be a good quarterback. He clearly is, has got the brain power to do it. The kind of a side story on that whole thing is that when the Chargers moved to L.A. and we were all frustrated, my son adopted the Arizona Cardinals as his team. And boy, that's been a terrible experience. Then my son moves to Houston and we're thinking, oh, you're doomed again. You're going to have another crappy team to follow. And now, hey, you know, now the Texas, you know, the Houston Texans are a fun team to root for. So I'm kind of happy for him in Houston. Stroud is really special. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has made such an arrival with what was supposed to be a rebuilding year. They had some, we talked about this when training camps open. It's like a whole new team, whole new roster. They're bringing guys in everywhere. I think they led the league in street free agents signed. They got six wins right now. Yeah, to make Ryan's coach of the year, maybe. Exactly. Okay, you got a pro football uh, comment? Feel free to jump on board. Fans Forum chat box is open. We go from that. Let's talk college football because, boy, we got storylines. <laughs> nice headline everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. I mean, especially with this Michigan thing. Is it getting a little more drama? Here's the story. You know, out of the clear blue sky, 
Michigan decides to drop the lawsuit against the Big Ten after after Michigan threatened everybody that you can't do this to our coach, you can't suspend this coach, you did not give him due process, we're going to go to the NCAA, if we have to sue, we're going to sue. And within 24 hours, they dropped it. I was told they dropped it for a number of reasons. That the Big Ten gave them evidence that indicated Chris Partridge, the linebacker coach, was the point man for the data that was coming from the outside, the staffer doing all the illegal scouting. Partridge tried to interfere in the Big Ten investigation, tried to, quote, bully people not to cooperate. Wow. And then he got fired. The second item that surfaced was this additional sidebar evidence it appears a Michigan booster was the one that was financing the staffers' trips, airplanes, hotels, buying the tickets to go scout all these opponents. A booster. Last I checked, dude, that's a big-time NCAA violation. Yeah. Even if Harbaugh had no knowledge what Partridge was doing in terms of getting his data and didn't know about the big cigar who was paying for the staffer to do this, all of a sudden Michigan dropped the lawsuit Our coach will sit out the three games. You end your investigation now. Big Ten said they would. So the Big Ten closed the book. Harbaugh will not coach against Ohio State. I think that's a big issue. And if the Buckeyes beat them, this has to be viewed as, quote, a distraction. You know, because Michigan struggled against Maryland. Maryland. The Terrapins. (laughs) 31-24. Struggled. Mm -hmm. So you're playing Ohio State without your coach on the sidelines to make adjustments, make play calls, etc. That's a problem. So we got the Michigan story. USC, UCLA. Holy cow! Trojans got pounded. They got humiliated. T.J. Harden runs for a buck forty-two for UCLA. Ethan Garbers, their quarterback, fringe guy, throws three touchdowns against that shabby USC defense. Caleb Williams just looked lost on an island. Like he's got to do everything. And he couldn't. He, yeah, he th- pulled up yards throwing and one touchdown pass. His last four or five games, his productivity and their explosiveness has gone by the boards. It's just no longer part of who they are, just like the defense has never been part of anything. So that that was a stunner, the UCLA. I mean, they punched him in the mouth. Oregon, Bo Nix, typical Saturday, 404 yards, six touchdowns, first half. Oregon. Wow. Oregon post an easy video, uh, victory. Their offense, like it's like watching a video game. They had 606 yards in total offense, Oregon did. So the Ducks win. Washington in a rainstorm. They had their hands full with the weatherman. They had their hands full with Oregon State. Michael Penix did not put up monster numbers, but they had three takeaways in that game as Washington finally subdued Oregon State in Corvallis. And you'll have to explain to me how this happens. Now, I don't know if anybody in Las Vegas is excited. UNLV is 9-2. and two. Barry Odom, first-year coach, you know, ex-refugee from Arkansas and a bunch of other places, imports all these guys in the transfer portal. They're 9-2, and two, and they whacked Air Force. Air Force has lost three in a row. They look like a fatigued football team. And their quarterback, Zach Larrier, has been hurt the last couple of weeks. So Vegas is 9-2. and two. Go figure that. Just like you think that's strange. Well, same thing with the flagship schools in the conference. San Diego State, Boise State, both conducting head coaching searches. So <laughs> what a strange upside-down year in the Mountain West Conference. John, 
Your eyeballs were dilated Saturday. You watched too much college football. Yeah. Respond. Response. Okay. Well, first of all, you know, I still have a hard time believing that Harbaugh didn't know that the booster was giving money to the linebackers coach and the linebackers coach is flying everywhere and videotaping. Well, it wasn't a linebackers coach. It was a staffer. Oh, pardon me. The independent staffer, the booster was given the airline tickets to and the cash and okay. all that. But then the staffer come back with the dossier of information and give it to Chris Partridge. Okay, and so that's Partridge, the linebacker coach. Yes, part, so and that's why Harbaugh Partridge got must have been thinking this Partridge guy is a genius. I mean, at some point you got to say this kind of smells bad, you know. So get you know once the um, Michigan said okay, three game suspension and and it's over. Th- that's the smart move right there. I mean, this should be a far more severe penalty. They did not want to go to a lawsuit, get into court, and get into the word of the day discovery. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then they're going to learn more and more and more. Um, is the is the game against um, Ohio State in the big house in Michigan or is it down at, at the Horseshoe? I think it's down Horseshoe. Okay. So that yeah, the the offensive coordinator I think is the head coach and he's a guy to root for. the The other comment I'll make is UNLV. I mean, this is incredible because for the longest time. Their football program was a disaster. It was like one of the worst in the Mountain West for years. Decades. I, decades. I mean, well, they had Randall Cunningham, I think, at one point, but that was like forever ago. And they always played in that old stadium and it was freezing cold. Now they're in that nice place where the Raiders play. Hey, good on Vegas. You know, they got something cooking there. Now, it'd be great to see all UNLV sports across the board to be super competitive because the Las Vegas is growing up in a hurry and it'd be, you know, it's, it's a shame when their when their programs are down. Well, they were big time under Tark the shark, but that's a few three point shots ago. <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. Hey, okay. Reminder, our podcast brought to you by Dixon line lumber and home center stores, a reminder that they are helping you prepare for the fall holidays. John, they do a lot of things for people like you and me to just kind of walk in the door. So just for all of our people on our live stream, if they got projects planned or they're just thinking outside the box, these people, Dixie Line, are the right people to guide them and help them get all the supplies they need. Yeah, it just depends on what you need to do. Like if you're looking to remodel your kitchen or bathroom or put in doors and windows, then you need to talk to an expert and they can give you some you know guidance on what's going to work and what's going to fit in your in your situation. But sometimes you just need to fix a toilet or you know a leaky faucet. You just roll into their store and they've got staff there that are former contractors that really understand this business. They'll be able to give you the advice and recommend the right kind of parts and, and tools you need to solve the problem. Christmas card gift from Dixie Line to the guy in the house? It's kind oh, of cool. Well, yeah. I mean, all, they, you can get them a gift card. And, you know, the, the dudes are always looking for the new tool, that new Milwaukee power tool setup, um, workbenches. I mean, they got a lot of neat stuff that would be great for a gift. Okay. You got projects? These are your best friends. Dixie Line Lumber, Home Setter Stores, our best friend, too. And we're back before we start the second half. We are proud to announce this thing has now crossed the one-year threshold. We've had great response and success from people in town, out of town, long-time listeners, first-time viewers, doesn't matter. Glad you enjoy our podcast, our bonus podcast on Monday, our regular podcast on Thursday. Now, it's a holiday weekend coming up. We're going to take our Thursday podcast. We're going to flip it after we have the pumpkin pie and cream. We're going to do a special Friday holiday podcast. So we'll be back Friday as part of our weekly schedule. And John, Insiders Group. Insiders Group, explain to those on live stream 
because we're looking for people to come join our team. Yeah, so the Insiders Group is your chance to get more involved, kind of learn more. we got a lot of exclusive content. You know, Lee, you've been doing the best 15 minutes in sports on your website forever. It's incredible data, but there's still some people that have never seen it. And so now we're emailing it out to everybody. And this is like all the data, all your research, all the numbers that that kind of guide a lot of your, your sports journalism. This is like a great one-pager of everything that's going on in the world of sports. And you'll get the best 15 minutes emailed to you each day go to my website register to join the insiders group it's a big orange box in the upper right hand side you'll start to get that daily and you'll get all the other information that we're planning to do some really unique and different things in 2024 and also john for everybody that needs to be able to sound off introduce to them fans forum and what happens at the end of this podcast okay so fans forum look at they're already loading up here i see javier i see kevin i see sg sports talk channel and michael and george and john i mean so if you've got a question or a comment for hacksaw on anything in the world of sports just type in your comment or question in the live chat on facebook or youtube and if you like sports as john said Go to my website. It's all written. You will really like it. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Anytime, day or night, there's a ton of information there. John, second half of this show. Let's go from football to talk baseball. Baseball. I mean, the Padres have had a number of transactions here lately. Let's break it all down. The Padres have begun the purge of their pitching staff and the purge of their payroll. As of this hour... Nine pitchers who were part of that Padre staff last year are off the roster. Some walk-free agents like the superstar Cy Young Award-winning Blake Snell. Other guys coming off injuries did not have good seasons like Drew Pomerantz, Luis Garcia. total of nine pitchers are gone from the Padres. And right now that's a $91 million saving of the payroll from the guys whose contracts have come off the books. Now that's the problem. I don't know what the solution is, because to go back into the marketplace, you're going to have to pay, and you have to overpay to get pitching. So the amount of money that is below what they spent last year is going to be spent pretty quickly, and especially if $30 million of that, or $33 million of that, winds up going to Juan Soto. I was a little bit surprised they traded Scott Barlow, the relief pitcher they'd gotten from Kansas City, who pitched pretty effectively towards a chunk at the end of the season. But it's a $7 million contract. They did not want to pay it. So he's part of those nine that's gone. They did not offer a contract to Tim Hill, nor to Luis Garcia. They did trade for a relief pitcher from Cleveland, Eniel De Los Santos. And they've also signed, at this point, six to seven career minor leaguers. Those guys are double-A, triple-A. Maybe there's a gem there. I don't know if they're going to be a player for the Japanese pitcher, Yash Yamamoto, who today filed for free agency and effective Tuesday can start taking contract offers from teams. So the Padres obviously have cleared payroll. Unfortunately, they've cleared some significant pitchers off their roster. John, you're the biggest Padre fan I know. You please tell me how they're going to replace all these guys. Wouldn't it be nice to have Mackenzie Gore, you know, still, you know, the, the young kid that's waiting for his opportunity. They need to have some of those kind of guys. And, you know, Adrian Morahone is potentially one of those kind of guys. If he stays healthy. He, right. And he's not. But you wonder where, where within the system do they have guys that are going to be legit 
starters at the major league level. Well, the next one is Rob Snelling, but he's only at double A. I, I yeah. think he's a ways away from the major leagues. And then you got these other guys in triple A and they just kind of cycle through the roster and they're nothing special. So they've got a problem. I mean, if they're going to want to get some legit starting pitchers, they're going to have to go out and sign guys and pay a lot of money. Or you rent one in a trade. But what is the price you have to pay in terms of young talent if you want Corbin Burns in Milwaukee, if you want Shane Bieber from Cleveland? Mm. There's about five of those guys out there that you can acquire in a one-year rental, but you're going to have to give up something to get them. Well, the Brewers just let go of Brandon Woodruff. But he's out for the entire season, Uh, shoulder surgery. That's right. So, you know, every team is looking for pitching. You know, there's just not enough pitching to go around. So I think the Padres are in a really tough spot here. I don't know how they're going to solve this. Well, name a manager first, and that may come right before Thanksgiving, and then we'll see what they do roster-wise. Historically, GMAJ, formerly rock star general manager, former hot lava guy, He's been able to go find guys, but in this year, more than anything, since nine have departed, he's going to have to go find a lot of guys. That's going to be a challenge. If you, if you had a chance to wave your magic wand and undo the Juan Soto trade with Washington, would you do it? It wouldn't just be that one trade. I would undo all the contracts the GM AJ gave out hmm. because they are so pinned to a corner they can't get out of. People may like Manny Machado, but they're not going to take on 10 more years. Right. And they like Bogarts, who I think is a rock-solid, steady guy. But not taking an 11-year contract. Obviously, Tatis at 14 years. Cronenworth, 8 years. He gave out so many absurd contracts. They are now locked into those contracts that cannot be moved. And the only way he's going to get players is either overpay in the free agent market again, because he's overpaid for everybody, Or is he going to have to trade more young prospects again like he's done twice? I think they're between a rock and a hard place. Yes, you you do have an established lineup. There's no argument there. Those guys have to to be better next year than they were this year when they underachieved. But, geez, he's short of so many pitchers right now. You're a Padre fan? You tell us. How much trouble are they in? Join us right now. Get ready to participate in Fans Forum. That's not the only baseball story going on here, John. Yeah, so we already had one free agent signing, the Phillies, and Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola decides not to go onto the open market and visit people. There were reports he had a lot of people interested in him. Seven years, $172 million. That's $24 million per year. Veteran pitcher has really taught himself to be a complete pitcher. He's staying in Philadelphia. I guess the good news there is he didn't go to Dodger Stadium. Second good news, Philadelphia's out of the running probably for the Japanese star Yash Yamamoto. Now, how does this impact Blake Snell's value? Although Snell won the Cy Young Award and was a really dominant pitcher for about four and a half months, Nola's been rock solid the last group of years. So does this decrease the value of Blake Snell, or is Blake Snell going to be a $25 million a year pitcher? So that's one storyline. Your buddy, Mr. Home Run Ball, Mm -hmm. Lance Lynn, he found a job already. (laughs) He did. He's going back to St. Louis with the Cardinals. Interesting. On a one-year deal. I took an $8 million pay cut. That's the cost of giving up 44 home runs. Right. Lance Lynn just signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. Wow. So the dominoes, they're going to start to fall. I don't think everybody's going to sit here and wait for Otani to make his decision because he's in a different stratosphere from the rest of right. rest of Major League Baseball. So people, 
people are going to start moving on players. The other baseball story involves the Oakland Athletics. You know, this was so bitter, the decision to take them out of Oakland. They finally got the approval to move to Vegas and all that. It was all this anger that came from the new mayor of Oakland about how John Fisher operated the team. Well, they talked. They talked this weekend, and this is kind of unique. John Fisher, who's an Oakland native, by the way, doing this to his hometown, taking the four-time world champion <laughs> athletics out of, out of his hometown. John Fisher owns 40% of the land at the Oakland Coliseum. Hmm. He bought that in conjunction with the city. City has gone back to him and said, we want to repurchase that land from you at the price you paid. We want to develop that Howard Terminal site where the stadium was supposedly going to be built. Sell it to us. Be a good citizen. Fisher comes back, says, I'll talk to you if you will allow me to rent the Coliseum at an affordable price for the next three years because they have no place to play because that Las Vegas thing won't be open until 28. Mm. So the A's are now talking to Oakland. The city is talking to the baseball club about doing some short-term lease and I don't understand how how this would be fair to the players. They're going to play in a limbo situation for three more calendar years in that dump, the Oakland Coliseum, while the new digs in Las Vegas are built. Weird, weird way this thing has ended up. Well, at least they're not playing in a soccer stadium in Carson, California. Yeah. Um, that, to me, is a reasonable negotiation there, you know, because the city needs something. The A's need something. I was kind of hoping they'd be that barnstorming team. And that'd be kind of a fun thing for a few years because already the A's are barely getting anybody to show up. And if you're in a, a lame duck status, they're not coming, you know. So it's just going to be a depressing few years there in Oakland. Well, I concur with you, although I— the union would put their foot down. They would not open that door. They would not approve to make them a roadshow. You know, if there is there is a conceivable angle to that traveling circus show. Let them go play two series in Montreal. Let them go play yeah. in San Juan. Let them go play in Portland, which hopes to have a baseball franchise, or in Nashville. You could find venues, but then those guys, then they're on the road all the time. It's That's not really fair to the players nor their families, and the union would never— Never allow that. So we'll just have to see whether this lame duck. Well, Oakland you know, money talks, was. right? So if the league kicked in a little bit of extra money, says, "Hey, we'll give you a ten percent bonus if you agree to this plan." It's not a bad way to go. You could take care of your family. That's an awful lot of road trips. I mean, because they get eighty-one games on the road already, and now you're going to make a traveling show for the other eighty-one quote home games. Yeah. I don't know how that works at all. Okay, we go from baseball. Let's talk hoops. Hoops. Lakers, Clippers. I mean, what are you hearing on the on the line here? Well, Lakers are off to a bit of a struggle start. You know, they wanted to monitor the minutes of LeBron James. You know, they're going to try to play him 25 minutes a night because they want him to be able to go the whole season, not get hurt. Jeez, he's playing 32 and 35 minutes a night in the last two weeks, and Lakers are starting to win. He scored 37 points the other night. Anthony Davis, he plays. You hold your breath that he doesn't get hurt again. He's already had one hip injury. Rui Hachimura had the concussion. He's back now. Their bench has just not been what we thought their bench would be, and I think there's a, they're a little bit disappointed that what they thought were going to be role players who could produce have not produced yet. They're only 7-6 and six on the season. The Clippers got two weeks into the season with a six-game losing streak, John. I said, uh-oh, this is not working. What they decided to do 
was they went to Russell Westbrook and said, okay, we're all struggling with what the roles and responsibilities should be, who should have the ball in their hand, is that guy a scorer, distributor, whatever. Westbrook said, I'll come off the bench. I'll be the first guy off the bench. I'll give you instant firepower. So that's what they're doing is they're changing the dynamics of the starting lineup, and they get Westbrook back as the sixth man. And when he got to – we walked across the hallway from the Lakers to the Clippers. He played really well in that role, and he adapted that role, accepted the role, adjusted to the role. So they think that maybe this this is all going to work out for them. They're a little bit thin – in the bench area because they traded so many people to get access to James Harden. But that's where we are right now. That's interesting. Um, and well, good on Westbrook for kind of putting his ego aside and doing a good thing for the team. That could actually work out well. But we go back to the Lakers. Um, what's wrong with Austin Reeves? Why is he not scoring? He I mean, does not look like the same player at all. His mechanics look flawed. He looks like, to me, like he's put on weight. I don't see him moving with the explosiveness that he did before. They took him out of the starting lineup. Wow. But he was, at one point, he was shooting 31% from the floor. And his outside shots, that's what makes him good. Mm -hmm. But it's early in the season. Maybe they'll figure this out. But at this point, he is first guy off the bench. But he just, John, I watch those games, and he does not look like the same player from a physical standpoint that he did. Maybe the scouting books have caught up to him. Maybe they figured ways to defend him into things he doesn't do really well. But, boy, he's out of sync. Well, I, I think I, I, if I recall, it was Austin Reeves. I saw photos on Twitter that now he's hooking up with all these Hollywood girls and everything's great. And, and that could take his eye off the ball, right? You know, and he might be going out partying a little too much. Okay, we go from basketball, speaking of not so great. This is a shocker to me. Yeah, I mean— we expected, or who who lied here? We were joking about it before we got started. We expected the goals to be a lot better. They won their first two games of the season on the road in Ontario. They beat the LA Kings top farm club. They came home and they played before 12,000. And they have not won a game since the first two. Ooh. They are winless. They're 0-8-3. Nobody is scoring goals for the goals except Pavel Regenda, the Czechoslovakian. Uh, they scored in 13 games, have scored 33 goals. That's just a shade over two goals per game. You can't win anywhere in hockey averaging 2.3 goals per game. Uh, the Ducks have been playing well. Now, the Ducks have got injury problems. Trevor Zegras and Jamie Drysdale, their two young cornerstone icons, have both been hurt. And they have really struggled. Zegras is not scoring at all. He not, actually has not been in the lineup of late. My problem with the goals, I understand it's a developmental team for the Ducks. My problem is the Ducks have sent all these young guys here, and some of these guys are in their second or third year in the American League, and they're still not scoring. Why are they under contract? If you can't score in the AHL, you are not going to score in the NHL. We're three years into this. You know, and I mean, there's some guys that have played a combined 75 games for the goals and have scored five goals. I mean, wow. it's stunning. And they got the son of a young, uh, uh, a former NHLer, Yannick Perrault, had a nice career in the National Hockey League with the Kings in Montreal and Toronto. And his his son, Jacob Perrault, showed here with great accolades in junior, came in here, played okay, and hasn't done anything in the last year and a half. I just asked the Ducks, why are these guys under pro contracts? I mean, you're third year into the American League, and you still can't pot goals? 
mean, they put them in a tough situation. Their attendance has plunged. They had 4,700 on the weekend. Yeah. 4,700. A team that used to average 11,000, 12,000. Well, who wants weekend. to pay money to go watch 2.3 goals a game? I mean, that's going to be tough. I mean, do the does the NHL have like a lot of developmental coaching staff that works their way through the minor league system? Oh, yeah. That's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. It is development. But the question is, if I give you a block of cement and you're a good coach, you think you can make that block of cement into a hockey player? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the problem. It's just... Yeah. What the Ducks have sent here has not panned out. It's early. I understand it's early. But they have dug such a bleeping big hole. That might be, you know, we're not even to December 1st, and their playoff hopes might be over already. <laughs> playoffs? We talking about playoffs? Yeah. Okay, let's go some from Puck. Let's go to soccer. Soccer. I mean, this is always good to talk about Team USA. How are the Nations League going? Well, they, they shut out Trinidad in the first... Nations League tournament game, 3 nothing. You know, last week we talked, if you're a soccer fan, feel free to join this conversation. Uh, last week we talked about the fact they did not have Christian Pulisic. They did not have Tim Weah, both of them out with uh, hamstring injuries. And they loaded the roster with the kids. And Gio Reyna and Ricardo Pepe both scored goals. Cool. They scored three goals in a seven-minute span as they shut out Trinidad. They will play Trinidad later tonight, Monday night, in the second game of that series. They win that. They move on into the Nations League. So that's, that's the big story there is, you know, you, you look at, I, I just think from a potential standpoint, Pulisic, you add into that Belogan, who came at the middle of last summer and has played really well. Then you add in Pepe, and obviously Reyna has now taken a step forward as a young 18-year-old and is playing pretty well. I think they're going to have a lot of firepower there. The other soccer story is a really weird one. Everton, from the English Premier League, had been under investigation for two years about illegal financial transactions and not reporting certain revenue streams uh, as, as it relates to the salary cap. Over the weekend... And I've never seen this before. And maybe because it's soccer and it's Europe, it's different. Over the weekend, the English Premier League handed them a letter stripping them of 10 points in the standings off this year's team. Whoa. That's like going to the Padres and saying, you did something wrong as it relates to luxury tax. We're taking away 10 wins. That's am- I've never heard of that. No, I've never heard of it either. Mm-hmm. That knocks Everton from the middle of the pack, down into relegation because they lose 10 points in the standings oh this God. year. <laughs> I've never heard that. So Everton's got, that's a huge problem because if you get knocked out of the English Premier League and you drop down to the second division, like it's called the Championship League, mm-hmm. the, the amount of revenue coming in the door is drastically reduced. Mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be deathly. You know, it's interesting. I saw the logo. You know how I got introduced to the English Premier League? How? I was standing on the first baseline at Petco Park one night, just talking to John Moores and Larry Lucchino. And somehow the conversation drifted from baseball into the English Premier League. And John Moores investigated buying 50% control of Everton in the EPL. Interesting. This was in the early days before everybody 
you know, Fenway Sports Group and uh, all these other people, the Glazers that, that own these pro franchises, dove into the EPL. John considered it, and at the last minute he elected not to do it. But that's how I got introduced to the English Premier League, and that's why if you call my house at 4.30 Saturday morning, <laughs> I might be up watching an EPL game because I love the English Premier League. Everton's in big trouble. Well, look at you, like hanging out with all the big wigs <laughs> in the Padre organization. I wouldn't expect anything less. I have a question, though, about the um, the Premier League, because Everton is one of the 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 premier teams of that league, right? Well, they've had flashes of years that they were okay. They're not Manchester United that goes well, yeah. back to the 1950s, and they're not Manchester City, which is the current flag carrier of greatness. And it's it's not Arsenal that had a decade run, and it's not Liverpool that had the, the unbeaten season recently. They used to be solid, but they're not solid now. Yeah, okay, that's fair. But I guess my, my question is, is, have there been any big name programs that have that have fallen down in relegation? Um, or Not is a big it, name, but they might be the first one to go. Yeah, because it seems like the ones that cycle through in and out are kind of the lesser teams that we don't really hear much about. There's a there's a story that I, I wrote about a couple weeks ago, and it, it was about quote the fair play rule, which in essence is the salary cap, and I think the number was Manchester United. Their total payroll was $289 million. And the newest team in the EPL, it's called Luton Town. They were just upgraded from the Championship League. Mm -hmm. For the fans that don't know, the bottom three teams each year in the EPL get relegated down one level. And the top three teams in the Championship League jump up. The payroll... For M Manchester United for the Red Devils, who I think was two hundred eighty nine million. Luton Town's payroll, I think, is forty nine million. Hmm. You talk about massive disparity. <laughs> so it even though it's neat to have twenty teams in the English Premier League, the bottom half of the bottom half and they come in and they come out of relegation. Well, forty nine million is still the hell of a lot more than uh you know what Fisher is playing the Oakland A's. Exactly. <laughs> okay, we go from that. Last topic on the table before we get to fans forum. This involves Formula One racing. Yeah, Vegas, baby. I mean it was lit <laughs> up. I saw some of it and it looked like a spectacular event. Oh boy, it was controversy. It was filled with chaos. Um criticism. Um, what happened was that they put the race in Vegas. Liberty Media, which owns F1, spent a half million dollars infrastructure to build the racing stables for all the cars, all the seats and everything. Mm -hmm. Spent a ton of money. Priced the tickets really highly. Tickets sold, bing, 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 right at the beginning. Sales stopped. Prices were so grossly high Hotel rooms, prices went up. People quit going to Vegas and staying in those hotels on the Strip for this past three-day weekend. So there was a lot of fallout. And then they get to practice on Friday. And, of course, it was a night race. Mm -hmm. They're going to practice. And eight laps into the practice, the pavement on the main straightaway breaks up. Really? And there's manhole covers that are sticking up because the pavement's gone uh, broken around it. Really? And one of the drivers, Carlos Sainz, hit one of the manhole covers and destroyed his car, ripped the whole bottom of the car out. And he was lucky he didn't get hurt. He was lucky he didn't get airborne. Well, yeah. So there was just a monster of controversy about, did you do diligence? Why is the pavement breaking up? I, again, understand 
how powerful these cars are. And so after eight laps, they stopped the practice, did not have qualifying. And it took them six to eight hours to patch everything. And then they had, they had to, their crews had to go the entire length of the course to make sure there was no other pavement breakup. There were no other exposed manhole covers. So they did not let the cars on the track till 2.30 in the morning. Oh, wow. Think about this on Friday morning, 2.30. And then somebody in F1 made the, made the decision, there's not enough security here. We have to remove all the fans. They can't watch it. That's at 2.30 in the morning. So now, now you got they got fans pissed off. Yeah. The drivers are all upset because they turned this thing into a circus. They had the drivers going to all these public appearances when the drivers are supposed to either be getting rested or going through race meetings, etc. And it's a huge jet lag problem because they all came from Europe. Right. Holy cow. And Max Verstappen, he just ripped the hell out of F1. Said, how could you do this to the sport? Well, they finally held the race. And Verstappen made a couple of bold moves, uh, beat the pole sitter, Charles Leclerc, passed him twice, and won the race's 18th win in a row. And on the podium, he indicated this was quite an adventure. We think there's great upside here in Las Vegas. Obviously, somebody got to him and told him to <laughs> shut his mouth. Right. Uh, he was very positive about the end result. I mean, it was it was pretty snazzy. I watched a chunk of it on TV Saturday night. I, I'd totally forgotten it was a night race. So it was... It was electric. It was neon, and that's what Vegas is. Yeah, of course. But man, the controversy from Thursday into race night was absolutely staggering. You know, and F1 is expanding. You know, they have three races stateside now, and the rumors are going to go to five. They're going to find two more venues. Uh, but this this one was kind of cool. They wanted to make it their, quote, championship event in the U.S., and there was a lot of glitter that appealed to guys like you, I know. But uh, <laughs> so I, they got through it. Verstappen dominated and won again. But uh, man, they had about seventy-two hours of hell. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me that they they pulled this off because logistically, that's a big effort to re- reform your whole city and create this racetrack there over the objections of the hotel owners who yeah. were really barking and and also of of small business owners and and the people that work in the community well, they had to build catch fences on all the straightaways i mean it was quite a yeah. financial investment from the just the track safety perspective to put this in place and then it interrupted the business dealings of the hotels and the merchants, and they were really steamed about that. And then the doggone track broke up. What a, it was, I, I would say it was part disaster, but sure looked like by the end result Saturday night was part success too. Yeah, I, I think all parties are committed to making this work. F1, the Vegas leadership, because if they can make that thing, a, a you know, a spectacular event, I mean, that could be a big deal in America. But I want to go back to the manhole cover. It makes me wonder, like, how low do those cars drive? I mean, I mean, if it's only a few inches and that manhole cover, maybe it's just tilted a bit. That's enough yep. to... Cause I mean, problems. ripped the bottom out of Carlos Sainz's car. I saw the bottom of it. He's lucky he didn't get airborne or the thing didn't flip because the guys are flying down the main straightaway in front of the hotels. It was a mile and a half straight shot. Wow. You know, usually F1 is around the tri- trees and the hills and all that. Mm-hmm. This was a very different layout. So 
It was a success, but boy, did it come at a price in terms of credibility and controversy. <laughs> okay, before we roll into fans forum, John, just briefly explain again. We're looking for teammates now to join our team. Now that we are one year into this, we want you to become part of Hacksaw's Insiders Group. Don't be outside the circle, John. <laughs> okay, so we got lots of guys lined up here. We, and we just added David and Joey and Force Ghost Fabio, Kevin, Joe, 4RXLA, Anthony. I mean, Michael, John, there's so many guys lined up in Fansform. We're hoping to get to all of you with comments and questions for Hacksaw. You want to get started? Uh, before we do, just a reminder, Fansform, just a reminder, join the Insiders Group. Go to my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. There's a big orange box right on the right-hand side. Sign in. You'll start to get emails. And we've got some unique and really different things planned for all of our followers on live stream as November turns to December, turns to 2024. So join our insiders group. John, these are your best friends. Some have jobs. Some are out of jail on bail. Go ahead. <laughs> let them fire some questions. Out of jail, out on bail. Okay, so let's uh, let's go here to Javier. And, and he says, with the Dodgers reportedly offering Aaron Nolan $165 million and him staying with Philly shows they got some big money to give to an elite pitcher. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Now, a chunk of that big money is obviously going to go towards the sales pitch on Otani. But there's going to be a big arm coming. And I don't know if the big arm is going to be Yamamoto, uh, the Japanese star from uh, Oryx Buffalo, or whether it's going to be by virtue of some other free agent like Blake Snell, or maybe they just rent a couple of veteran pitchers. Um, They are talking to the White Sox about a deal for pitcher Dylan Cease. Uh, They would have to give up maybe one of the young catchers to make that trade work, or maybe one of the young pitchers. The Dodgers are going to add, I think, one big-name arm and then maybe rent a vet for a year or two. Yeah, I mean, that they're going to be spending big, big money. But it's interesting that, you know, Nola was, he dabbled, I guess, a little bit with the Dodgers. There was some conversation, but it was interesting that he went so quickly. So he must really like it in Philadelphia. Who wouldn't like being with a winner? And yeah. that's a winner. Look at that everyday roster. Yeah. I hate to do this, but I have to invoke what I said right at the end of the baseball playoffs. For Phil, for Padre fan, I apologize in advance. You're going to get upset. The Philadelphia Phillies with Bryce Harper and all those other guys, the Phillies were everything that Manny Machado and the Padres were not. Am I right or am I right? You're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, all the hype, all the positive energy was lacking in San Diego, at least in the dugout. It arrived in Philadelphia. And it, yeah, Philly did it, you know. On we go. Let's on, move on. Fans form. Okay, so this is from Kevin. He's talking about, you know, why are po- Charger fans still watching the team? And Kevin says, we're watching because it's the only game on locally. Well, you've got, you've got the CBS package, which would be Charger games, home and road for the most part. You've got the Fox, Fox 5 package, which would be, quote, the game of the week, which is usually a pretty good NFC game. And then obviously, you know, if you subscribe, you can get Thursday night football. Uh, vis-a-vis Amazon, or if you subscribe, you can shell all the money to go get YouTube so you get the whole Sunday ticket thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are some limitations, but I'm just I'm just curious for our, our, our writer there, 
Are you watching because you still like the Chargers or you just hate watching because you want to see Spanos lose? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because people have to watch. It's one of the few games that's on. But I have a question. So, you know, we see the games at 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock. And some weeks we get two games at 10 and two games at 1. But then sometimes one of those time slots, we only get one game. So what are the rules that TV stations are dealing with there? That's a good question as to how they ferret them out. Some weeks Fox has one. Some weeks... CBS has won. I don't quite know why the formula is the way the formula is. But the alternative, you know, and I'm, I don't know a lot of fans who want to spend $499 to buy the DirecTV mm-hmm. package that went over to YouTube. Do what John and I did. We just went to a sports bar. Yeah. <laughs> Walked in the corner of the sports bar. There's 12 TVs there. Hey, dude, can you put this game on over there? Yeah. We want to watch that game. <laughs> we don't want to watch all these other games. And then for the most part, these sports bars do it. So that's my solution. We move on. We move on. Let's go to SG Sports Talk Channel. He says, I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs winning over the Philadelphia Eagles by a final score of 55 to 7 on Monday Night Football. And Mahomes will throw for over 300 yards. SG. Don't drink before you write us. It'll be a good game. I, I think these two defenses are going to slow each other down. Uh, Philadelphia is really dynamic. I mean, A.J. Brown is having an unbelievable season at wide receiver. And if they're not throwing him, they're throwing a Devonta Smith. Uh, Philadelphia is pretty doggone good. And Kansas City is not quite what Kansas City has been over the last group of years. The kid receivers have been sometimes good, sometimes bad. I mean, we know we know one thing for certain. Mahomes will throw to Travis Kelsey, and then there'll be a screenshot in the skybox of Taylor Swift. Uh, Kansas City's just not the same team offensively. But that being said, as I told John, Kansas City's defense under Steve Spagnuolo, they've drafted a ton of athletes the last two years, and they're giving up only 288 per game, and they got 31 sacks. They got more sacks than Philadelphia does. So I think these defenses will close things down. So, SG, if, you don't want, if you're not going to stop drinking before you send us a message, that's okay. Just send us a note and let us know what you drink so maybe we can enjoy it. Yeah, I know, exactly. 55 <laughs> to 7. Come on. You know, you, you said at Kansas City the defense has been so much better, and I agree with you. But I, I, the one thing I realized is that Tyreek Hill, missing him on offense has made a big difference. And boy, is he a difference maker for Miami now. I mean, usually they kind of, you lose a receiver, you kind of find other receivers to replace them. But Tyreek Hill seems to be in a different stratosphere. I think the other factor is not just Tyreek leaving. Juju Schuster-Smith came from Pittsburgh, and he was really good as not only a possession receiver, but a blocker downfield. And they Mm -hmm. let him get away. He went to Pittsburgh, and he's not having a good run with the Steelers this season. Uh, They traded Nicole Hardman, who had been a role player. He went to the Jets. He kind of washed out there everything and is going down the drain in New York. He wound up back in Kansas City uh, just two weeks ago. So not quite the same thing. Now, They've got young guys. they got this young receiver from Western Michigan, Sky Moore. He's in his second year, and he's been dinged up with a hamstring. But that's a really nice player. And they got a young kid, Rice, that's a rookie this year. Played well in a chunk of time. Then he got dinged up. So I think there's there's good talent there. It just hasn't been able to stay on the field at this point in time. But like anything else, salary cap impacts, you know, we're not going to pay Tyreek Hill $19 million a year. So they shipped him off to Miami.
we move on. <laughs> I think we got football every day this week here <laughs> on Thanksgiving week. Let's go to 4XLI, and he says, Raiders offense has been weak all season, and no quarterback can change that. The defense is playing great. Max Crosby's just playing like a house of fire. I mean, this is a great modern-day pass rusher. He's a really fine player. Uh, quarter, you know, their offense going into the game this weekend in Miami was 31st in the league. I mean, just they don't protect the quarterback. Josh Jacobs, with the exception of maybe one game or two games, has just not played like the running back he was. Uh, you know, the past coaching staff couldn't figure out how to get the ball to Hunter Renfro. Now the new coaching staff is throwing to Renfro. Uh, you got Devontae Adams. There's trade rumors out there that maybe he wants out at the end of the season, try to go somewhere else. They're just, just a mess. Now, it's obvious they've given up on Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know if Aiden O'Connell's the guy. He he does make plays down the field. He's the Purdue rookie. Uh, but, boy, he's turned the ball over a lot. You know, he had he had three fumbles against the Chargers in his first start. His third start this past weekend, he threw three picks. So it's way too many turnovers. But it's just not a good offensive team. They can't protect the quarterback outside of Colton Miller. So this this all spins back to the front office. This all spins back to John Gruden. It spins back to, obviously, uh, Josh McDaniels. It, it's just a mess. And they can't, they can't ever get it fixed. Well, Raider fans says... We're happy that that Mark Davis got rid of all the leadership that was screwing it up. And so I think the Raider fans have faith in Antonio Pierce. You know, he's going to make he's making a big difference. But I still don't understand the identity of the Raiders offense and what they represent. I've got to believe they're going to be, you know, trying to get you know one of those high draft picks to get a quarterback. I concur. You know, and I thought last year that maybe they had solved it. Josh Jacobs had a phenomenal year running and catching the ball. They had the contract dispute, and he refused to sign the franchise tag, and then he held out. And by the time he got there, the season was starting. By the time he got there, he wasn't ready for live game action. He's hardly done anything at all. And, of course, your offensive line has always been in a state of flux. They've just never been able to put people in place. People would be successful. And they've tried everything. I mean, they've drafted kids that picked up veteran free agents, street free agents, it just they haven't found a Max Crosby on the offensive side of the football in the offensive front. And that's I'm I might be old school. You have to build your offensive line. If you build your line, you protect the quarterback. You protect the quarterback, then you can run the football. Run the football, you can probably throw the football. But you know if you don't have it done up front, and they've gone through so many offensive linemen outside of the left tackle. Colton Miller's probably been there seven or eight years, and he's rock solid. But the rest of it's hodgepodge. Yeah, well, Deion Sanders, I think, is realizing that as well. You need guys on the line to, to really beef it up. I didn't want to bring that up, the fact <laughs> that you had Dion going to the national championship playoffs, and they've lost seven of their last eight, and now his son is gone for the year. Yeah. He got brutal. killed. 52 quarterback sacks. Well, that's a pound. For Shadur. Yeah. That's terrible. Okay, moving on. Let's here. Here's a comment from Joey. He says, best show on YouTube. You guys are awesome. Damn right. We are bleeping brilliant. Thank you very much, Joe. Hey, Joe, since we gave you all this pub for the last three and a half seconds, Yarborough, you need to tell all your friends. Share what we're doing. We're having a lot of fun doing it. Thanks for the compliment. Okay, let's get some uh, social media comments in here because we got a ton of those as well. And I thought this was a good one. It was about Ron Washington. This is from Jeremy. And he says, 
So being a Braves fan, I go to spring training games in Florida. During one game, I was sitting front row, third base side. Ron Washington was nearby. We called his attention, and he came over just saying hi to the man. A fellow fan asked him if he could have some gum from the dugout. Next thing I know, here comes Ron Washington <laughs> with like 30 pieces of gum. It was awesome. Such a great dude and super cool. Just thought I'd share that story here. Well, it is interesting because I had one opinion that he'd been so far removed from actual day-to-day decisions in baseball, and he had a history of not not wanting to deal with analytics. <clears throat> and he was great in his own venue, and his venue was coaching up young kids. And he, I've been told that he did a really great job by the young players in Atlanta. So he gets his chance with the Angels. Now, he won the press conference, the, the burning question, can he win games with the roster he's got right now? No. The roster he's going to have two weeks from now once Otani leaves, no. So it'll it'll be on that front office to try to give him quality players that he can teach and coach up. They got some good young ones that have gotten there from the farm system. They desperately need pitching. My goodness. So we'll see. Uh, it's only a two-year deal. There's no doubt that his charisma and his ability to make baseball fun for the young guys and yet put the burden of responsibility, be prepared. I'm going to be very intrigued to see how he handles Anthony Rendon, who really finished up a lousy season by acting like a bum as a teammate at the end of the season. So, And you got to keep Mike Trout healthy. But uh, they, they, they've got guys that got to get on the field and stay on the field, and they got to go get more guys to put around those guys. Well, you know, Dodger fan thinks they're going to sign Otani and trade for Mike Trout. To go from the Anah- go from Anaheim to Chavez Ravine, you see mm-hmm. it happening? No, not at all. Because the same rumors were because Mike Trout's from Jersey that make him a Philly boy. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. And again, he got payroll. Yeah, you know, if, if if the Dodgers, you're hallucinating again, aren't you? <laughs> if the Dodgers are going to sign Otani, mm-hmm. big check. If the Dodgers are going to sign Blake Snell or trade for somebody else's frontline pitching, that's a big check. I mean, Dodgers are not going over $300 million in payroll. They're not going to do a Mets thing. But that's why they've funneled all this money out by letting all these guys not picking up the options on these guys' contracts. So the Dodgers have got a a significant chunk of money here to spend. But the issue is it's going to be spent the minute it's Otani or Snell or Otani and somebody else. Yeah. I mean, they they got a lot of money to go around, but they still have a limit on what's, what they can possibly well, pull. Everybody's got a limit because yeah. of the luxury tax threshold. Exactly. All right, let's move on here. Let's talk a little bit about conference realignment. This is always a big topic in social media. This is from uh, Ganjin. He says, do the, scheduling, uh, do the scheduling alliance for the 2024-2025 season with the Mountain West Conference. After that, there will be no uh, exit fee for the Mountain West. At that point, Oregon State, Washington State, bring over San Diego State, Boise, Fresno, UNLV, Colorado State, and then look to the AAC and get Texas, San Antonio, Memphis, Tulane, and makes a decent 10-team league. If they want to get to 12 teams, consider USF and Rice. 4209, we don't want a reincarnation of the WAC. Yeah. We don't want Mountain West 2. Based on the court case, and there's some parameters here that we have to pay attention to, Washington State, Oregon State, at this point, still control the operation of what will be left from the Pac-12. And they're going to do the schedule alliance for two years. So that helps Oregon State, Washington State fill their schedule. And obviously, those will be nice matchups. San Diego State's going to play both the Beavers and Cougars next year. And obviously, 
Boise and Air Force and some of the other really good programs, they're going to wind up on the Oregon State, Washington State schedule, so they'll be good games. At the end of 25, when all the TV contracts expire, then the decision will be made, how many do they take from the Mountain West? As part of this scheduling alliance, they have to take all of them. That's what the Mountain West agreed to. In essence, the Mountain West would dissolve. Everybody would move all the furniture into the Pac-12 conference. <laughs> now, the question is, does Washington State, Oregon State, and the Pac-2 come back and say, okay, we don't want New Mexico. We don't want Wyoming or San Jose State, whatever. We're willing to write you a check to keep you keep you where you are in whatever conference you're going to have, and we're just and then we'll just take the four or five or six free agent schools that we desire. Mm-hmm. Well, the Mountain West agreed to that because the Mountain West initially said, "No, you can't cherry pick us. If we're going to do this thing, it's got to be en masse." So that's where we are now. You know, and the next thing is the the judge's decision for the Pac-2 to take over control is already being appealed. Uh, to the state Supreme Court in Washington, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Well, if if they were able to take the Pac-2 and the Mountain West and the whole Mountain West as one group and still have it as a power five, then I'm okay, you know, having New Mexico. I mean, after all, the SEC has Vanderbilt. Yeah. I, mean, you know, I mean, every those big conferences usually have one or two doormats that are at the bottom every year. Don't you demean Northwestern and Rutgers? How dare you? <laughs> we'll see. There'll be negotiations there. Go ahead. Okay. Let's get some hockey in here. And this is from Jeremy. And it's talking about Connor uh, McDavid. He says, he's not a winner. Scoring is one thing. Winning is an entirely different thing in a team game. Franchise players are never role players. And that's what McDavid is. He's an offensive role player with zero defensive team play capabilities. The team keeps hiring coaches to avoid facing that fact. He'll never win a cup unless he can just uh, be a role player. Problem for him is role players aren't generally as expensive as he is. If Edmonton wants to pretend they're trying to win a cup, they need to take the C off of his chest and stop pretending the highest paid player is a leader by default because it's not true. Oh, Canada. Wow. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if Jeremy's from Calgary. Calgary always hates on Edmonton. <laughs> uh, the problem, as I view it, Bad goaltending. They've had it for years. They never solved it. Uh, the second problem is it is a team that's driven strictly by Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They're complementary guys. They're second and third line guys. Just have not been very productive. No doubt, Connor McDavid gets a ton of ice time, and he's on everything that goes on. I don't know if he's a defensive liability. I know he's a great talent. My perception is they don't have enough support people. Because I'll tell you what, when you get to the NHL playoffs, what happens on the third and fourth lines, whether it's winning faceoffs or it's checking people into the ice or scoring weird goals, that always comes from somebody's third and fourth line guys. Edmonton just has not been able to do that. And it's strange. And they've gone through a lot of different coaches. They've gone through hard asses, like the coach of the Kings who was up there. And they went through a nice guy, Woodcraft who did really well up until the start of the season when they went, what, 2-8-2 and two out of the gate, and they fired him. So it, it's fascinating. Uh, the general manager is in his last year. He is going to retire, Ken Holland, at the end of the year. And a lot of people are saying, can you leave now? 
uh, good riddance <laughs> to you. So it it's a mystery. But hey, there's no strange mysteries. My Toronto Maple Leafs. You know the last time they won the cup with the big they have the biggest payroll in hockey, richest mm-hmm. franchise. No problem. It's only been since 1967. 1967, last time they won the Stanley Cup. Go figure that one That's out. It's like Bob Gibson here, yeah. <laughs> way back there. Yeah. Well, you, you commented if the Calgary fan is probably upset at Edmonton. What are the regional rivalries? I mean, like Yankees, Red Sox, Giants, Dodgers. Oh, Battle of Alberta. Holy cow. Used to be the, the, the battle between the Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. Now the Ottawa Senators are kind of in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Battle of Ontario doesn't sound as good as Le Hab versus the Maple Leafs. Uh, you know, Winnipeg hates Minnesota because they're right across the border from each other. So those, those the Canadian rivalries are really cool. I wish, I mean, you got all these TV screens here in our studio. I just wish you had had access to watch Hockey Night in Canada. You would really get a kick out of it because its presentation is really different than anything we see on TV here. Because it's it's a lot less now than it used to be when Don Cherry was screaming and yelling about everybody because he was a lead studio analyst for Hockey Night in Canada. If you liked Howard Cosell... You, Jeremy, tell him you'd like Don Cherry. He was really off the charts. Well, I was recently surfing through all the one of the streaming platforms, and there's a Don Cherry movie, you know, about mm-hmm. his life. Yeah. That might be worth checking out. Documentary. Yeah. Interesting guy. Okay, let's do a couple more here before we put a lid on it. Okay, before we put a lid on it, let's go here, talk a little Padres. This is from uh, Michael Lee, and, and he says, uh, not signing Waka and or Lugo is suicide, and they were already going to lose Snell and Hayter. Whoever the hell is running this team has got their head and their... Um, Wait, wait, has, has ah, got their head ah, in their no, rear. <laughs> Stupid AJ or whoever it is that gave Manny Machado eight, $380 million when he had a bad elbow before he signed the contract is complete incompetence. The contract should be legally ripped up because Manny literally knew about his elbow issues before the contract was sold. Complete incompetence. I don't know that I buy that completely because all these players, once they sign these mega contracts, have to go through an updated physical. So I'm not sure that he had a torn ligament in his elbow or whatever was going on. The contract issues, the length of the contract issues is a big issue around Major League Baseball. And he did something I thought absurd. And he did something with Tatis well before he had to do anything for Tatis. And he's created a real problem there. So this is on AJ. But flipping back to the original question, Mike, you know, if you try to keep those guys, I'm just not sure that Michael Walker's a $16 million a year pitcher or Seth Lugo is or Nick Martinez is. And again, goes back to the contract AJ gave them with all these options. <laughs> so he kind of created this thing with the contract extensions and the options going forward that would drive these prices up. As much as I respect Waka for, and he's pitched pretty well, whether it was in St. Louis and obviously what he did in Tampa, then we did at Fenway Park, we did at Petco. But there's a history of shoulder issues in which he has problems. But I don't know that he's a $16 million a year pitcher. I don't think, you know, you're going to give $48 million to the back end of the rotation, those three guys guaranteed on multi-year deals? I don't think that's good business, but then again, what AJ did at the front end with all the lengthy contracts, I don't think it was good business either. And John from left field, first time <laughs> caller, always bitching. Your opinion? I, you know, Waka and Lugo and Martinez were really effective in nice their roles. Value. Yeah, I mean, they did a great job. And um, and even Waka, like you said, when he was at St. Louis, he was pretty good. He was this new young guy. Then he got hurt, and it kind of didn't. 
and then he was good in Boston. But here's a question I have for you, Lee. There is a narrative in social media right now that there are certain owners or other people in baseball that are intentionally trying to make the Padres look bad because they're upset with you know Peter Seidler spending so much money on this team and that there's a conspiracy against the San Diego Padres. I mean, what do you think of that? Well, conspiracy and what? You, you can't prevent an agent from delivering his player to San Diego if San Diego is going to write a wild contract. Red Sox can't control that. Nobody can. Now, they may be upset, but that's their own business. And, you know, run your own damn business, Miami Marlins, with the lowest <laughs> payroll on the planet for the last decade and a half. And I don't want to hear anything out of Oakland or some of these other places. It was Peter Sadler's money, and he pushed it to the front of the table, and that was going to be his legacy to get us to the World Series. I will say this. Very few of the Padre players on social media have mentioned anything about Seidler's passing. And I really find that odd. Fernando Tatis yeah, just did. I just saw that. Yeah. And you, Darvish, had done prior. Mm-hmm. I don't know where Machado is. Where is Soto? For as, as benevolent a man as this guy was, Seidler, taking care of all his players, I would thought there would have been a phenomenal outpouring of response from Padre players towards him. I've not seen anything from Joe Musgrove. Now, maybe I'm, not, maybe I'm not looking in the right places. But there's an awful lot of players that owe that man a thank you. I thought what Tatis wrote uh, in his podcast or his text today was, we owe it to continue his legacy. That's pretty well said. Yeah, well, good on Tatis for doing that. But we've all seen those pictures, like prior to Manny, you know, having the extension, that he was pregame, had his arm around Peter Seidler, and they were best buds. So, yeah, you would expect to hear more outpouring, outpouring, especially from these guys that are getting paid like, you know, a a third of a billion dollars um, to play for the Padres. So, yeah, that's something. Okay, program reminder, Thursday, Thanksgiving, you will have the pie with the ice cream. Give it to John. We're (laughs) going to be off Thursday, but we're going to do a Friday holiday podcast at 3 p.m. So make sure you jot that down somewhere. We'll be back on here on Friday. Reminder, join our insiders group. You need to go to my website, the big orange box right on the front page. Fill it out. You'll go on our email list. You'll start getting a lot of different stuff. We've got some great plans going forward for 2024. We have no friends. That's okay. you got a lot of friends. Tell your friends, your posse, your team, what we're doing on our podcast, what we're doing on our website. Share And then subscribe so you'll get all the extra alerts we have. John, happy Thanksgiving. Save me the extra piece of pumpkin pie. We'll be back in here Friday for the holiday edition of the show. So you think Taylor Swift is going to the Kelsey family for for Thanksgiving? Might be. (laughs) Hey, listen, happy Thanksgiving to you. Thanks for being part of our team. You've made the past calendar year really a lot of fun. We'll see you Friday with a holiday edition of Hacksaw's Headlines, brought to you by Dixon Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, nine locations serving San Diego, your best friend when it comes time to do home projects. Have yourself a happy Thanksgiving. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.